Welcome to another episode of Metal, Rock, and Whiskey. I'm Sailor, and I like to talk about music, yell at Jake, curse a lot, drink a lot, and drink a lot. (laughs) On this podcast, we typically compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, argue, debate the merits, and in the end, only one album will reign supreme. And on today's show, we have two very, very special guests. Tonight's (laughs) here. Sasha and Chris of the band When Particles Collide. And something else that's equally important. We're all whiskey nerds on this show, and we do drink during the show and talk about it as well. And each show we do a, a, a pairing of a whiskey with the theme of the show. And tonight that rests on the shoulders of Ed. Looking forward to it. Oh, I got a good one. Awesome. And on tonight's show, are you guys ready to know the theme? Who will be battling? Do we have a drum roll from anybody? (laughs) (laughs) The battle tonight will be Van Halen versus Van Hagar. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry. There you go. Get it. But... Before we get into the discussion and our whiskey segment tonight, we are here with Matt, Ed, and our very special guests, Sasha and Chris. How's it going, everybody? Hello! What's up, guys? Hey! hey. Well, welcome to the show, guys. We thought it was fitting that you two should be our first guests on the show, as you have so graciously provided us with our lovely theme song. Love it. So- to ask you a couple of questions so our listeners can get to know you guys a bit if they don't already know you, which I hope they do. So let's start off. Tell us your backstory because you guys are not only bandmates, but you're also married to each other. So how did When Particles Collide come to be? Music and lovers. Yeah. <laughs> did I tell my girlfriend we're married? Stop it. <laughs> um, we met- hey. Yeah. Awkward. Uh, yeah. Um, we met in 2010 doing a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch that we were both cast in. And uh, just after that, my wife at the time told me she wanted a divorce. So I needed a place to stay. And Sasha offered her bed room. And <laughs> I said, <laughs> And then we started as a band, and I haven't moved out yet. Nope. <laughs> it was a good bed room. <laughs> what we like to call perfect timing. Yes. So um, tell us about your name. <clears throat> one particle. Uh, I guess I'll take this one. Um, you, yeah. So I, my background is as a high school chemistry teacher. And... Um, I was sort of, at the time when Chris and I met, fascinated with this idea that no matter what phenomenon you think about, like um, me being able to look at Chris and see him, it's because particles are colliding. Photons of light are hitting his face, bouncing off, hitting my eyes, hitting the, you know, receptors in the back of my eyes, and then I'm able to see him. Like this whole idea that nothing actually happens without real contact and um that's also how sound works right so um in order for sound to carry 
you have to have air particles hitting each other, actually colliding. And so I was sort of very much obsessed with this idea about music being a very physical thing um, about collisions. And Chris, uh, you know, I was, I was talking about it a lot. I was trying to write a song about it. And as we were trying to figure out how to name the band, Chris came up with the actual phrase, when particles collide. And uh, that's how the name of the band came to be. So kinetic energy and mass creation were both taken? Yeah, they were totally um, already top 40 hits. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, so, I, also, I also love physics. I don't blame you. <laughs> so, uh, guys, talk to us a little bit about the Unstoppable Tour because we have been Facebook friends for a little while now, Sasha and I, and um, I remember seeing your posts about wanting to do this and and the courage that it takes to actually take leave from your job leave your lives and get into a van and just get on the road and have faith that it was just going to work so um talk to us about this tour because i've seen you on two dates of this tour now you have uh in two totally different cities which is amazing um <laughs> so you know i've always wanted to be uh touring musician, but never really knew how to do it without the help of a manager or a booking agent or a record label. And for a long time in my life, anyway, I never toured because I thought you needed somebody to come in and tell you how to do it. And then I met Chris in 2010, as we talked about, and we started making music. And I, I reached out to everyone I knew from my old rock and roll days and there it turns out no one has a magic pass or key that's like, oh, the touring pass, here you go, and now you tour. Um, so we started um, booking dates outside of town all ourselves. And it got to the point where we realized we both loved it so much and we really wanted to be able to go back to towns more than once a year and wanted to be able to go to more towns. And the only way to do that was to um, tour more often, tour full time. But we also knew that we didn't make enough money as a band to tour full time. So um, to create this unstoppable tour where we essentially are in the van uh, for 45 weeks out of 52 weeks, um, we did our own version of a crowdfunding um, kind of thing. So we didn't use a third party. We just used um, PayPal and our website to create a way for friends family and fans to, to um, help us tour. So people can purchase either a portion of a tank of gas, a meal, um, a portion of a hotel room, or just add some money to our tip jar. Um, and they can submit either a one-time amount or a monthly amount. And that helps keep us going. And we've been giving everyone who supports us, and we call everyone who does that part of the Unstoppable Tour crew, um, we give them all of our new songs for free. We send them exclusive video updates um, and we send them newsletters as well. And it's been over seven months and so far, awesome. Chris is shaking his head. Yes, it's we're like we're really we're two lucky old dudes. That is so cool. <laughs> I like the idea, the concept. It's yeah, great. It sounds like a cool adventure. It's really been amazing. I love being part of the Unstoppable Tour crew. Oh, yay! We're I, I might have to go check that out myself. 
Yeah, you guys mm-hmm. better. When I get the emails, I get so excited. Ooh, what's in this email? When I get the newsletter, I just love that it. That sounds cool. Yay! Oh, that makes me happy. Too. Well, so talk to us a little bit about um, your musical influences. Maybe just like a couple each. What? Who would you say are your biggest influences in music? Oh, that's a really good question, Chris. I answered the last question. Why don't you start? Why don't you start this one? Um, let's see. I grew up listening to a lot of jazz. Um, also being taught that way, I started taking lessons when I was, I think, seven years old. And my first drum teacher was like, "If you can play jazz, you can play anything." So I didn't listen to a lot of classic rock growing up. Um, my parents, it wasn't in their catalog of stuff. It was a lot of uh, like Earth, Wind & Fire, um, Bach & Turner Overdrive, and Debbie Gibson was like pretty much what was in there. A little <laughs> bit of Grand <laughs> Punk Method. Yeah. Uh, Total death metal, sweet. Uh, that wasn't there. Um, it was like in middle school when I someone introduced me to Metallica, and so I listened to Metallica for a while, but I had crazy family that was like, that's the devil's music. You can't listen to that. So I listened to it louder, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah. And then I fell into the uh, Dave Matthews trap. Um, but musicianship-wise was the reason that I had fallen into that was because I loved his drummer. Which is oh, his drummer is amazing. Carter is the most amazing drummer in the world. Uh, one of, I should say, not the most. Um so still to this day i'm a fan but for completely different reasons than getting girls drunk at college parties um but i think that's kind of that's where mine came from like where my background is which is like completely different than sasha's is yeah so i guess uh musical influences you know growing up uh, since I am of a certain age, the only music that I could listen to as a kid was either my parents' record, and I mean, you know, vinyl collection, or mm-hmm. the radio. So early influences absolutely would be Janis Joplin, the band, uh, Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, you know, anything that my parents had on vinyl. Um, and then the radio, I mean, I feel like when I was in middle school, which is, I think the age when, um, rate, like pop music, like popular music of the time is really influential. Cause it's the music that binds you together with your friends. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was in middle school, uh, in 1984, a very important year for the band bands were about Ooh. to talk to so I that was feel a great like, year, big year, oh, big big God. year. <laughs> I feel like I grew up in the heyday of pop music that was played by incredible. Mu- so you have these incredible musicians who are trying to create very accessible and catchy songs, but they're doing it in a really creative way. I mean, yeah. try to play some Holland Oates songs. You think it's easy, and it's not. You know. Mm. So I would say my influences are also like nineteen. 19- <clears throat> Or 85, 86 radio hits, you know. Yeah, very cool. So, there you go. I would have said uh, with uh, Chris's facial hair, I would have guessed Lemmy and Motorhead mm-hmm. would would have been an influence. I have one very unpopular Motorhead song that I love, and that's just because it's Triple H's theme song. 
Yes. <laughs> well, you've got it. You've got a friend in Matt. Yes. Yeah. All you wrestling people. Former yeah. wrestlers. Yeah. So, Sasha, um, talk to me a little bit about being, since this is, I'm a chick on this metal and rock podcast, and you're a chick <laughs> that is guitar player and uh, vocalist in a band. Um, I have also, my background's in the music industry as well, in, in different uh, places, and I were the same age, so we I was there pretty early on. It was a very, <laughs> the world moves very quickly these days. It was a different time. Um, talk to us a little bit about being a female front woman in music, in the industry. Do you feel like it's gotten any better? Do you feel like all those struggles are still there? Is there more support and understanding these days? I mean, I remember showing up to a show in 90s and they wouldn't let me in. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in the band. And they're like, no, yeah, whatever. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm literally in the band. You have to let me in or the band doesn't go on. Same thing happened when I had my record label was doing tours. I would often have trouble with that. But guys could walk in like it was nothing. So I don't know. I mean, you know, there it's where we were a big minority um, in the music industry, especially the hard music industry and the underground music industry. So um, how has that changed now that you're out on the road touring the country? What are you seeing? Well, I, I'll answer it a couple of different ways. On the positive side, on a really positive side, because you and I are of the same age, like I, the re whole reason why I started playing rock music, because I came to playing music much later. I was 20 when I picked up a bass so I could be in a punk rock band. And the reason why, a big reason why, was because of the Riot Girl movement of the early 90s, in the mid 90s. And that carried me through a lot of my early bands and desire to be in a band. And now when we're touring the country and we're playing with a lot of younger bands, because we are, in terms of band life, we're a young band. In terms of our own ages, we're not we're particularly young. But, um, and so we play with a lot of bands with young women in their 20s and their big influences, and it's in a very interesting sort of nostalgic way, are the Riot Girls from the 90s. Because, you know, that's 20 years, over 20 years ago for them. You know, so I think that in some ways it has gotten a lot better because these young women have um, role models from a whole different generation, a whole generation back who really paved the way for them not to have to be, you know, who paved the way for us. Like, um, you know, we don't have to be s super sexy or, you know, video vamps like it was in the eighties. Right. We have these girls coming up now have a different, um, different folks that they can look to for how, for how to be. Now, that being said, Chris and I, although we play music that I would definitely describe as pop music it's heavier right it's definitely in the heavier vein and i would say that 80 percent of the time i am the only female on the bill and 90 percent of the time time i'm definitely the only woman playing an electric guitar mm -hmm. so there is you know and especially when it comes to heavier music sure um so there is a lot of room still to grow. And the thing I think, you know, that I do want to mention 
is since we play with a lot of newer bands in their hometowns, like we've been a band for, you know, seven years now. Um, but we're, when we go to a new town, we're playing with a band that's maybe been a band for a year or so. And we play with a lot of all male bands and the confidence these guys exude sometimes without actually being that polished mm -hmm. is so different. The women that we play with are still often like, oh, you know, like we played with this band the other night and the, there were two female vocalists and one of them played guitar and their vocals were phenomenal. And I talked to them and they're like, oh, you know, we're just, oh, God, we're still kind of learning. We're just not like the, the sort of confidence mm -hmm. that is exuded still feels like it falls along gender lines where a lot of young women in music still seem to be sort of apologizing or understanding where they are in their development. Like, oh, we're just starting. Whereas I see a lot of men just starting, but exuding a lot more confidence. There's a lot of self-doubt, I guess, there. So yeah. 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 So I guess that would be my assessment. I don't know, Chris, if you want to add anything, because it's probably, you see it from a, a different perspective. I mean, I, I see the same thing from the bands we play with. Um, the female musicians, be it either the lead singers or guitar players, or if they're drummers or bass players that like aren't the front person, there's a lot of the, um, well, we've only been a band for this long. Like this wasn't the best show ever, but it could have been a band of four dudes and they would think they were the best thing since sliced white bread. <laughs> <laughs> you're not <clears throat> but yeah i mean you're getting you know, like I, and, and that's no disparagement to bands like i, I think it's just about understanding where you are in your development yeah as bands. do you sure. think it's do you think it's sometimes uh there's the added pressure as a female to try to be that much better from a skill standpoint so that you don't ever feel like you are being accepted just because you maybe are attractive or what have you. Well, the, the great thing about being 44 is I don't feel the need to be attractive <laughs> and rarely get objectified the way I did when I was in my 20s and early 30s. And that is a... But I, I, I really want to talk to your point about the expectations you know, we played a show the other night. We opened for, actually, we opened for the Queers. And, you know, it's a legendary punk band. And it's four bands. Every band had um, three or four members. We're the only duo, so there's already more expectation. And I'm the only woman on the bill. The absolutely only woman. And the pressure I felt to deliver because we were given this opportunity and I, whether people want to or not, they see me as a woman. I step up. I play a flying V of all guitars. So all right, the expectation is you better be able to play. And right. um, I definitely do feel the need to, um, like, I feel like I have to be that much better. You know, often I I, yeah. I do because I feel those I feel that expectation um, to you know like oh I don't know if she can really play or not and it and it's what's 
what's sort of maybe almost even more interesting about that is when I watch other bands with a woman, I notice that my own internal monologue is girl better be able to play, hmm. you know, like, like I think because women are underrepresented in whatever it is they're underrepresented in that the, sometimes the standards become that much higher, sure. you know, because all eyes are on them, whether it's in, you know, whiskey or in, um, music or journalism or politics or whatever it is. I think sometimes when a woman or any underrepresented group is stepping up to the plate, you know, whether People want to believe it or not it's in their heads that like that person is representing that group yeah you know, expectations yeah. yeah makes sense definitely yeah that's just i mean unfortunately women are still very under underrepresented in music and hard rock and especially metal um underground music that seems to not have changed very much even when i go to shows but you know it's like that in many industries now that i'm in the whiskey business man I just keep choosing these industries where I'm Well, I'm doing my part to try to change that. I've got uh, four daughters, believe it or not, <laughs> and ages like six, from 16 to 21 now. And um, they are all have been involved in music in some way, um, whether it's flutes or uh, guitar. My guitar player, I'm coaching her along she's a big you know classic rock fan led zeppelin and all that kind of stuff and she started seems playing. like she'd be a big fan of Jeff yeah Tall. she's she's 19 right now and um <laughs> but the, the biggest hurdle she's got to come up is is that confidence thing just like you were talking about sasha she's just got to build up her confidence she doesn't like to play in front of people she's good but she's got to overcome that that confidence thing it's like you, you were know, saying is not seeing somebody who looks like you already doing it yeah. and and you know i think about that a lot you know watching movies or reading books or any kind of media you consume it's like those those young men who just have the confidence and i'm not not disparaging them they should have that confidence and that's how you get better and, and work hard but like exactly what you're saying with your daughter you know if you're not seeing a lot of women already playing guitar or already playing flute or whatever it is, you know, yeah, like it's harder to visualize yourself. So you're, you don't even know what the expectations are for yourself. And so you're, you not only have to become good at the thing, but you have to somehow also project in your mind that you deserve that. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is an added challenge. And, and, you know, you'll hear folks from all kinds of different communities talk about how important it is to see themselves reflected in whatever medium they want to go into. And that power of seeing an image wherein they see themselves in that image. And so, uh, you know, that when you talk about it, it resonates with a lot about feeling like you belong there. And you're yeah. often told that you don't belong there. And I know I felt that way in music, especially on the business side of things, for Christ's sakes. I mean, that was the worst place I could have gone. I can imagine. You know, but <clears throat> I felt I had to be smarter, quicker. I had to be so much more prepared than the guys had to be. I had to know my shit. I just felt like, you know, not that, I mean, this didn't happen often that I would get specifically grilled, you know, oh, do you know your shit? But that's what how I was coming to the table with those insecurities. And it's the same thing when I do whiskey tastings. I'm in a, typically, I can have a group of 40 guys and maybe there's one chick there. And unfortunately, usually, oh, I'm the wife. He dragged me here. I'm like, <laughs> damn it. You know, and I've been mansplained in whiskey tastings. I'm like, hey, you just paid for me to talk to you. You zip it. 
I got this. But I get nervous beforehand, even though I know I know my shit. I'm always like, please let there be a big group of women. But who do we have to look up to? And that's what's important is, you know, for me growing up, we grew up at the same time. I had we had Joan Jeff for hard music. There was nobody else really at the time that also wasn't like <clears throat> we talked about being objectified. Unfortunately, Lita Ford felt that she had to do the whole sex thing, which was yeah. such a shame, you know. Um, I mean, there's was other issues with her too, but <laughs> but I mean, she was a talented musician. She was a kick ass. She is, I should say. You know, it's a, it's unfortunate that she had to do all of that because I was getting the same message from her that I was getting from the Budweiser girls in bikinis hanging up in my dad's garage. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, they don't really belong. They're just playing the part. And I have to say for me, I wasted so much time worrying about my looks and not sitting in my room and practicing. Mm -hmm. Like I should have been practicing for hours a day, not counting my calories and going to the gym and worried about how I looked and, you know, comparing myself to... Like I have wasted so much psychic and physical energy on worried about whether I was physically attractive enough or not to be a musician and not on whether I knew scales or whether I had dexterity in my hands or my vocal technique or any of the other things that actually make you a musician. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> Same with this. This has been the gym. <laughs> <laughs> And Chris, you need to spend a little most, less time uh, grooming that mustache and more time practicing those drums, I think. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for answering those questions. I really appreciate that discussion. That was I think great. It's thank you. Always Fantastic. About yeah. it. So I just have one last question for you guys. This one is really, really important. Are you ready? Uh, how did you feel about Lars Ulrich? Oh, no pressure. <laughs> Anyone who has achieved that level of success in the music business for that length of time, like that is an accomplishment that deserves recognition and respect. That being said, I do not think he is a particularly excellent uh, drummer behind the kit. Technical but, drummer. But I have never had to do anything in front of that many people. So even things that I'm really, 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 I don't know if I could tie my shoes in front of that many people. So, you know, that, that I will, you know, I'll give that caveat. And then the other thing is, you know, he may have been wrong about a lot of things and decided to really put a stake in the ground about certain things that now, in retrospect, make him seem very foolish and silly. But again, I don't have to represent like all music and all musicians when I make a statement about file sharing or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what I will just say is not my guy. But should I pass judgment? Probably not. Fair point. That's that's a. And how does the drummer feel? Yeah, how's the drummer back there feeling? (laughs) (laughs) A couple things I've learned on the road, and these are things you say. Um, you look like you're having fun. 
Um, you're really good at what you're doing. And let's do shots. <laughs> Those are all things to say. If it was okay, but like, okay. Like, I like the band. I love the music. I feel like you could just take the sticks out of his hands and give them to somebody else. I think that band would would have been just as good, and if not better, with another drummer. It's just I don't know. I mean, I I don't. Uh, he looks. I don't know. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I, I battle. I battle. The, I battle the same thing because from a technical standpoint, yeah, you could put somebody else in there that's just so much better but without without Lars there is no Metallica because he is a he has a brilliant musical mind yes. he's just not technically a brilliant drummer no. over the over the years I've learned to appreciate his business acumen a lot more than his actual yeah, drum technique because the guy knows what he's doing when it comes to that at least at the, at the end of the day you gotta respect the guy he's stuck to his guns he's he, he built a band and he didn't let anybody else tell him what the hell he want what to do he did it his way him and James, and and you know what? <laughs> they Look did a pretty good job. <laughs> yep. Anyone who's been in the business for that long, and like that is incredible. Like you, you can't deny that. And it's very easy to criticize for the most obvious things that are maybe weak points. <clears throat> Again, the simplicity of what's happening. Oh yeah, and like I, I get it. I totally get it, but man, oh man, it's not easy to do what he's done career-wise over the long yeah. term. At this point, Sailor will insert her favorite hashtag. So I, although I, <laughs> I completely agree with everything everybody said, I still say. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys so much for taking the time to share a little bit about yourselves with us and our listeners. Um, at the end of the show, we'll ask you guys where everyone can find you on social media and how they can support the Unstoppable Tour. We'll do all of those things, links, all that stuff. Um, Jake? This was this was an incredible session. Um, before we get into our, our normal format of the show, of the battle, we need to get to some news. Yeah. <laughs> I have some stuff today, I think, guys. You ready? Ready for a little rock? Lay it on us. Let's let's learn. Okay. So, <clears throat> has anybody heard about this new Motley Crue movie? I have uh, not. Nope. I turned a, no. a deaf yeah, ear what? to Motley Crue years ago. So same. Yep. I could give a shit about them in in recent <laughs> days. Um, I had did not hear about this. Apparently, there have been some hints to it, and it wasn't taken very seriously. But it's definitely happening. This new movie is going to be called Dirt. It's currently in pre-production, and it's a project that's going to be helmed by former Jackass director Jeff Tremaine. Um, and it's a bit based on the tell-all autobiography by the band. Um, so it's completely and fully supported by the band as well. And Nikki Six has been tweeting about it recently. Um, here are the actors that have been chosen to play the band. So rapper Machine Gun Kelly will play Tommy <laughs> Lee. I had no idea who he was. I had to look him up. Yeah, never. Um, English actor Douglas Booth has been cast as Nikki Six. He's a young little heartthrob actor that's been in a lot of movies I haven't seen. Never. Um, 
Okay, I'm going to try to say this name right for the next actor. I had to actually look up on YouTube how to say his name. Iwen Rion of Game of Thrones. I probably butchered that. He plays Ramsey Bolton, and he will play Mick Mars. He and is, then, like, oh. villain central. He plays a villain in everything, because he, he was also uh, in uh, the Inhumans uh, Never thought little, little run. It's a branch off of the uh, Marvel oh. uh, TV universe. He was as well. Then there's Daniel Weber from The Punisher, who will play Vince Neil. And they did side-by-sides of the pictures of all of these actors next to young Motley Crue because they got all the guys from about the same age. And um, even though they're not done up like Motley Crue, the, the likeness is stunning. Oh, wow. So I'm really excited. It's supposed to be released at the end of the year on Netflix. And um, production should be starting any day now. So I will be really curious to see how this comes out based on the actors that they've chosen. So um, also, you can stay tuned in Nikki's, to Nikki Six's Twitter account for updates on the movie because he's super into it. Uh, so also, in well, which the, one of those actors is going to hold a microphone in front of his stuff? <clears throat> <laughs> so also, Tool has been in the yes. news time lately. Uh, so for all you Tool fans, you've all been with bated breath in a somewhat confused state to hear about the release date of the new Tool album. Now, you're going to have to bear with me here, because as I was finding this news, I had to go back and do some research. It confused the hell out of me to, to kind of work this out. It, it's very strange, of course, because it's Tool, so we'll see if I've explained it correctly. So, okay, it seems that recently, uh, drummer Danny Carey said that the album will definitely be coming out this year, and that they hope to have it out by May. Then the guitarist, Adam Jones, told fans that the music was done and that Maynard was doing the lyrics this month. And they were coming in strong, he says. But then when asked in separate interviews days later, Adam Jones said no comment to the same question. Then Maynard answered the same question in a very strange way via Twitter after Danny had made his statement. So he answered a fan and a... um, a media person asking about this album coming out in spring or summer. And he tweeted, not, period, coming out this summer, period, not, period, N-O-T. Yeah. A few days before that, he had also responded to someone saying the album was coming out in May with one word, horseshit. <laughs> so, okay. So he's speculating that the band, the band's album is called not. So he's saying not will be coming out this summer. Or is he saying oh, that interesting. not coming out this summer? Nobody fucking knows. Mm-hmm. So. Well, Maynard, and, and every Tool fan knows, Maynard is, I mean, the uh, like furthest epitome of eccentric. They, yeah. I mean, everything yeah. you have ever heard about him, he is, he's an absolute perfectionist. He's obsessive compulsive. I mean, it is, I mean, everything, every detail has to be perfect in his mind or or he'll just burn it down. When did they? When was their last album released? Before this? Before what was that this? ten ten thousand days? Uh, was it two thousand? It was been. It's been a while. 13. It's been a while though, right? Yeah. Boy, probably two thousand nine or ten. Oh, maybe ten. Yeah, something like that. It's been. Quite but it's been a while. To, I, yeah. I I I went yeah. to that tour. Yeah. I, I saw them on oh, that tour. Okay. I mean, amazing. They 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 put on a just a phenomenal live show. If if He's this. Awesome. Uh, 
yeah, when this new album comes out, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll go see him for sure. So, well, we don't know if it is not coming out. I, or if, coming. or if not, is coming out. Right. <laughs> well, so we'll keep you guys updated, friends. Uh, so last piece of news here. Hey, Matt. A few shows mm-hmm. back, we talked about the announcement of a Misfit reunion tour or series of shows, as it's called both, with the classic lineup. But there wasn't a lot of info just yet about um, where these shows would take place. So it turns out Live Nation hinted last week and has now put it up on their site that the first homecoming show will be in New Jersey. Newark. Of course. May 9th. Yep. So they're going to be playing uh, with suicidal tendencies at the Prudential Mm. Center in Newark. Tickets will go on sale in just a matter of days. So... Dave Lombardo drums for both bands. So he's going to be doing a double set with the misfits and suicidal tendencies. Like, (laughs) Chris, how the hell do you survive something like that? Like, that's exhausted. It's awesome. I can't even. That's insane. So that is our metal and rock news for the week. Ed, what was that? Ed got a, uh, Ed got a, uh, for all, all all you guys out there that follow Ed uh, Bourbon Geek on Instagram, you got a uh, uh, Star Wars Misfits. Oh yeah, t-shirt. it's called it's uh it's called the Sith Fits. It's like a play on uh, <laughs> yeah, just look up Sith Fits on um on the internet and you'll find it. It's some awesome uh, Star Wars punk rock uh, crossover, and also had a um a, a t-shirt that was a play on Motorhead. It's called Anchorhead. From uh, ta- Akerhead Tatooine. <laughs> I love those. So good. Yeah. Yeah, so those are good. Awesome. Follow that account now. It's amazing. <laughs> good stuff. So, Ed, do you have yes, some whiskey for I us tonight? Yes, I certainly do. Let's drink. All right. <clears throat> tonight, the whiskey I have selected to go along with Van Halen. Well, Van Halen, this is a legendary family name in the world of rock. The band was started by brothers Eddie and Alex Van Halen, and later on they would include Eddie's son Wolfgang Van Halen. Van Winkle, a similar and also legendary family name in the world of whiskey. Today, my selection of the Van Winkle Family Reserve 13-year-old Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey pays homage to the band Van Halen. The rye whiskey was aged in its barrel for 13 years, one year for each of Van Halen's albums. Beautiful. And thus, well played, sir. My selection. Well played, awesome. indeed. That's uh, that that one that that selection is becoming more and more rare because they are uh, they're making less and yeah. less of it every year. Yes, they are. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah Matt, you'd know. Yes. <laughs> Number one question I get all the all time. Right. You got, you got any pants? No matter the so, time of year. How about <laughs> we get into a little bit of trivia and find out how much all of you know about Van Halen. Let's enter the Thunderdome. Sasha and Chris, you can both ah! feel free to play along. We will yeah. not be keeping score tonight. This is just for fun. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, question number one. This single became Van Halen's first and only number one pop hit, garnering them a Grammy nomination. What Jake. was the name of the song? Jake. 
Jake. He's Jake. Finish. Jump. Jake, you're disqualified because you said. Hey, Jake, before I finish the question, who's There's next? A delay. <laughs> oh, there was a delay. Your faith finished. <laughs> you better raise his hand. <laughs> Sasha. Oh no, I just was. Are you kidding? <laughs> I I said Jake right right when you got done talking. You jumped, you the, jumped gun. the gun, dude. Oh, I didn't. You no. have four did witnesses. Not. We're not keeping anyway, the board. Let fine, I'll just give it to Jake. There's his game. All right, question number two. This album had no production credit due to the fact that, according to Sammy Hagar, the band pretty much produced the album ourselves. What was the name of the album? Jake. Jake. <laughs> Doesn't sound so sure. Balance. Nope. Damn it. Chris. Taylor. Chris. Chris first. Oh, you ate one too. Yes. Point for Chris. Chris on the board. To be honest, to be honest, I thought it was one of those first two albums, but I could not, for the life of me, think of the letter number. Remember the number. Yeah. All right. Question number three. In 1992, Van Halen won a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocal for what album? In what year? 1992. Matt. Matt. I'm going to fuck the name of this up. <laughs> for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge? There you go. All right. Good job, Matt. <laughs> Yeah. That stands for something. Yeah. Oh, no. It does. All right. Question number four. Van Halen's album, 1984, peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 charts at the same time as what other album that Eddie Van Halen made a guest appearance on? Matt. Jake. Matt. Ooh. Thriller. There you go. It was on that Thriller. Was a, such a tie. Well, I had oh. to give it to Matt as your penalty that's, for jumping in early hey, for the previous one. That's, hey, you know, <laughs> karma, karma's a bitch. That's fine. <laughs> All right, question number five. What was the significance? This is probably the toughest question here. Um, what was the significance of the number 5150 as the title of Van Halen's seventh album and the first with singer... Lead singer Sammy Hagar. Damn it, I know this. I just... There's two, actually, two acceptable sailor, answers for sailor, this. Sailor, 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 sailor. It's the name of his studio he built. Yes, there you go. That's, that's one of them. And it it itself was named after. I know. Shit. I can't remember now. It was actually a uh, California law enforcement term for a mentally disturbed yes. person. That's it. Damn yeah. it. <clears throat> that's all right. Huh. Sailor, you get it. You get that one. All right, question number six. In 2006, Van Halen bassist Michael Anthony left the band to be replaced by whom? Jake. Jake. Wolfgang Van Halen. There you go. Who was also Eddie Van Halen's son? Eddie Van Halen's son. There you go. All right, question number seven. Gary Sharon followed Sammy Hagar as Van Halen's lead singer in 1996 but would only record one album with the band. 
His brief three-year tenure with the band was supposedly because of the album's lack of commercial success. No surprise. What was the name <laughs> of the album? Jake. Jake. Van Halen 3. You got it. Jake on the board. Uh-oh. Final question. Van Halen had a notable effect on the modern rock music tour with the use of their concert technical writer or technical contract writer. Amongst the demands of the contract writer, they put in a slightly unusual one as a test to see if the venue actually read the writer. <laughs> what was the demand? <laughs> Sasha. Jake. <laughs> Sasha. Nobody said their name. Oh. What was that? Green M&M's only. Uh, actually, they requested a bowl of M&M's with all the brown ones removed. Oh, not just green. Uh, not just green. Wasn't it, uh, there was another band that did the green M&M's thing. It was, uh, God. Yeah, that sticks out in my mind for some reason, too. I don't know who it was. I want to say it was Rolling Stones that jokingly did that in response once they found out that, uh, that Van Halen was doing the removing of, or all, all, yeah, the No Brown, that the Rolling Stones did that on a tour just as a joke. I, I, I feel like I heard that somewhere. Do you know why they did that? It's really important, actually. Well, so apparently they had been injured, the band and the crew, several times before that, because the like one at one point half the crew almost got electrocuted, looking at lights and stuff. So someone gave them the idea and said, "Put something ridiculous and tiny, you know, bury it somewhere, and if they've read that, you'll know that you're safe." you know, and all your safety concerns have been met. They weren't trying to be dicks. And that was mm-hmm. brilliant. So if they didn't see the M&Ms done the proper way, legally they had the right to have the whole place inspected and everything that was set up for them inspected so that they knew they could address safety concerns. So mm-hmm. that's actually that, pretty That awesome. was very smart. Yeah. It's always a good idea in contract negotiations to just put something in just to make sure that somebody read it. Yeah, Exactly. All right, and thus concludes the trivia segment. And just unofficially, bonus, bonus trivia question. Oh. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> In the movie Back to the Future, what name is on the cassette that Marty McFly plays when he pretends to be an alien? Just watch that last night, literally, Eddie Van Halen. No. Nope. Yeah, it is. What? Well, it says Edward Van Halen. Oh, Edward. Oh. Ah, jeez. Zinger. (laughs) All right. So, are we ready to talk about this battle, my friends? Let's do it. Yes. I mean, we could continue on with, uh, like, movie references that uh, connect with Van Halen, if you want. I mean, we could do that another show. Since I spent all this work on Timeline. (laughs) Blood, sweat, tears, and while I was death. Well, why don't you tell us about it? All right, I will then. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so just for um, Sasha and Chris, we uh, will split this up into two segments because I will definitely have to pee in the middle of it. We're going to talk about Van Halen first, then we'll talk about Van Hagar after, and then we'll all decide who wins. So I'm just going to set us up with a little timeline just to get everybody um, reacquainted or acquainted with the band. 
So Van Halen was formed in Pasadena, California in 1972 by the Van Halen brothers, Eddie and Alex. The brothers rented a sound system from David Lee Roth, and even though his initial auditions previously for lead vocalists had been unsuccessful, the brothers decided to allow him to join the band to save them money. Soon after, Michael Anthony was also chosen to replace initial bass player Mark Stone and to help with backing vocals. The band went through several names before deciding on Van Halen, in which David Lee Roth takes credit for the choice, as he said, it had power just like Santana. Van Halen played a lot of backyard parties and small clubs, working hard on self-promotion, and finally in 1974, when Sasha and I were a year old, the band got their first break. <laughs> they were hired to play a club called Gazaris on the Sunset Strip. Shortly after this gig, they recorded their first demo tape and became a staple of the L.A. music scene. And guess who produced their demo tape? That would be my most hated friend, Gene Simmons. Simmons. Eugene Apparently, Simmons wanted to change the band's name to Daddy Longlegs, dumbass, and brought the demo to Kiss's management, where he was told the band had zero chance of ever making it. Do you think so, that Daddy Longlegs thing came from the way that uh, David Lee Roth kind of walked across the stage with his legs kind of up? No, I think it was about spiders. <laughs> of course, well, I, that's where it came from. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I just. I read I read that also, and I never heard that. I read this in the research, and I'll just shut up now. Thanks. And, and, oh, my God. I believe that's what Jesus called his penis. Actually. Yeah, that's probably, probably. No, I think he called that, I think he just uh, narcissistically called that the moneymaker. Yeah, and I, I've seen several interviews with Gene Simmons where he basically says that he was the main reason that band exists. Like, yeah. basically. basically. Band. He's a yeah. Nothing to do anyway, with it. Moving Nothing. on. Yeah. So after Simmons was told by his management that the band had no chance ever of making it, of course, Simmons had no further involvement with the band and thank fucking God. Yep. 1977, <laughs> two reps from Warner Brothers Music caught Van Halen's live act, live act in Hollywood and were so impressed that they offered the band a record contract that following week. The debut album, Van Halen, was recorded in a simple method with little overdubbing and small mistakes left on the record to give it a live feel. Upon its release in 1977, Van Halen, the album, reached number 19 on the Billboard pop chart. This album is still one of rock's most successful debuts. It was highly regarded during its release and was put in the category of both heavy metal and hard rock at the time. The band toured for about a year to support this album, opening up for Black Sabbath. The big takeaways, as their following group, was Eddie's technical guitar wizardry and Diamond Dave's flamboyant stage persona. The band returned to the studio then in 1978 to record Van Halen 2, which was released in 1979. This album gave their band their first single hit with Dance the Night Away. The next year, 1980... Women and Children First was released, and the band continued to tour heavily. Then in 1981, Fair Warning was released, in which some say was the real beginning of the divide between Eddie and Dave. Eddie's desire for more complex technical songs were at odds with Dave's poppy style. And then Van Halen's fifth studio album, Diver Down, is released in 1982, gaining the band more radio hits with Pretty Woman, Dancing in the Street, and Where Have All the Good Times Gone? Then... 1984, January 9th to be exact. The album, called 1984, was released. This album was recorded in Eddie's newly built 5150 studio. It featured regular keyboards and the mega hit 
Jump was a number one pop hit and won the band its first Grammy. And then, of course, Panama, Hot for Teacher, and I'll Wait were all top chart hits. The album peaked at number two on the Billboard charts, right behind Thriller. Thank you, Ed. However, success would not protect the band from the growing tension between Eddie and Diamond Dave. During the 1984 tour, the issues between the two became too much, and eventually Roth exited the band. But David Lee Roth goes on to have a very successful solo career and as Van Halen searches for a new front person. So let me just recap really quickly the discography that I just went through. So during the first uh, and formative Diamond Dave era, you've got Van Halen 1, Running with the Devil, You Really Got Me, Eruption, Van Halen 2, Dance the Night Away, Beautiful Girls, Women and Children First, and The Cradle Will Rock, Everybody Wants Some. Fair Warning, No Big Hits, Diver Down, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, Pretty Woman, Dancing in the Street, and then, as I just said, 84, Jump, Panama, Hot for Teacher, 84, I'll Wait. Huge, huge, huge mega hits. So that is the Diamond Dave period with Van Halen. So let's discuss. Is Dave the real Van Halen frontman? Is Dave the best Van Halen frontman? What do you guys think? Uh, <laughs> wow, absolutely. Let me just start off super, uh, you know, dad moment, cute little thing that happened this morning. I was listening to uh, Diver Down. Yeah, backdrop. It snowed like 10 inches this morning. So uh, I did. I drove carpool because I have a truck and my daughter is in the back seat, and I'm playing Diver Down and I hear her singing along with I, at first I, I could I couldn't quite tell if it was just part of the mix because she's has a good voice but i hear her in the back singing where have all the good gone?" and i hear her singing along i see her voice moving you know her mouth moving in the in the rear view and it was just a uh you know one of those dad moments that's fantastic awesome. when you so there's that um um yeah i'm uh i'm i'm on i'm on the david lee roth bandwagon let's just yeah. get that right out of the way Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm right on there with you, Jake. Um, 1984 was my introduction to Van Halen. You know, I was uh, 14 at the time. Um, you know, I was just beginning to get into all this rock music and everything. And man, what an album to be introduced to this band! That was just to me. That was like that was one of their highest points right there. Is 1984? It was definitely David Lee Roth's highest point. Although I can't discount. Um, their first album in 1978, Van Halen. What an album to come out of the gate with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, how many bands can, can you know, even, even Metallica, as we discussed on another episode, um, I don't think their, their first effort, you know, overall in the big picture was as strong um, as Van Halen's first effort. I think on every single episode, we should try to compare every band to Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> And no, I mean, Ed, I would say that they're <laughs> they, since they shaped an entire music genre, I would say Metallica, maybe even a bigger influence, actually. Well, that's that's not exactly the perspective I was coming from. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So I hear you there. There's so many hits. But um, yeah, how how many I'd say how many bands have a first album that's so great and so significant right out of the gate. But anyway, um, yeah, and of course I'll always associate Jump with the Chicago Cubs. Go Cubs. Um, <laughs> <Ooh>. And uh, <laughs> uh-huh. 
It was yeah. Fun. Anyway, uh, oh, all the cover out cover songs. They had so many great so cover many. songs. Yeah. You know, huge Roy Orbison da- fans. You know, the Kinks. You really <laughs> got me. Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. Martha and the Vandellas uh, dancing in the streets. You know, all for me just as good as the originals. Um, very listenable and everything. Yeah. So I'm a huge Diamond Dave fan. He was the uh, <laughs> The prototypical rock and roll front man. Did you know right that there. he was like I mean, a savant musician? He can play like, do you know he played all the acoustic, any acoustic guitar? Yeah, yeah, and, and harmonica. Him. He can too. play so he can yeah. play like yeah, yeah, yeah. He can play like every instrument, and he was a huge jazz and like world music fan. So a lot of those covers that were chosen, that was Dave actually. That was him. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, he's he's a very very talented musician, and apparently he's also technically amazing on guitar as well. A very good technical guitarist. Yeah, supposedly, all the acoustic parts on any of their albums is him. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Which um, I mean, I think yeah. if you look at if you look at the upbringing he had, the you know the 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 wealthy family background, he he was definitely given opportunities to train. I'm sure with some great teachers. Sure. And to your to your point, Jake, and for me anyway, I love in music, whatever genre of music it is, when two opposites can come together and just create magic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like you to your point, you had Dave, who came from a wealthy family, probably didn't have to buy an instrument his entire life, you know, until he was older. And then you have Eddie, who, you know, saved every nickel and dime from delivering newspapers so he could buy his first instrument. Um they come together, they make magic. And I feel like the clock started ticking as soon as that first album. Because usually when you have that, mm. those two personalities who are completely different come together, it's only a matter of time before they go their separate ways, before everything implodes. And I think we should feel lucky as rock fans that we got so much out of them <clears throat> from those first, yeah, from that first period of time. Um, and like you said, the hits just one after another, after another, after another uh, came out of those first... <clears throat> four or five albums so well, it, it goes it it, yeah. it it should it should be well known that uh that actually the van halens uh they came from uh the same area of the netherlands that my family came from from uh Hilderland. so yeah, i saw a family there speaks to diamond dave that van halen's producer went with him when he left the band so right. yeah. which mm-hmm. And, and this was said, I remember this being said a lot back then. And then as I'm rewatching videos and interviews and stuff, they were always on the same page, Dave and their producer. Um, but it was Eddie who was against the both of them. So that's what made it even more challenging is not only are you at odds with your vocalist and the guy who's also helping to write the music, but you're at odds with your producer as well. And so when... Um, Eddie built 5150. Actually, the whole band was upset with this choice because they felt that he was going to be in his own studio that he owned, you know, writing and creating all the music without anyone else's input. And that's exactly what ended up happening later on. And so that was also um, for David Lee Roth. He was like, no, I have to have a part in this. I'm also a musician. I'm also creating these songs. And so that was also a big divide as well, other than just personality conflicts. Yeah, and I think I think to the layperson, you know, going back to your point earlier about him being a savant, I think to the layperson, you might just see David Lee Roth as this, you know, flamboyant front man that dances around and is crazy. And and maybe you don't realize that he is actually just brilliant. 
musically. And, and no, go ahead. No, no, I want to hear. I want to hear I was your point. Say, when we first started as a band, when we recorded our first full length, we mixed it at a studio in New York City, and when we were there. The engineer was telling us that they have just reels and reels and reels of recorded material from Diamond Dave, and this is oh, in awesome. this is in like wow. mid. When would this have been? Like two thousand and twelve. Like he would just go into the studio and just wow. record. I mean, I don't even know if I'm allowed to huh. talk about this, but like, <laughs> like he just—it's just us here. Nobody else yeah. is listening. Please tell all. You know, like he would just even this is this is like obviously very late in the game, but like he's an EMT, he's doing his kayaking thing in New York, but he's yeah. still like I mean, that's the thing a lot of people will say about bands like Van Halen or artists like um, David Lee Roth, like, well, you already achieved success. Like you had the pinnacle of success. You're still making money off of your songs. Why are you still bothering? It's like when you're an artist or you're a musician, like that's what you do. Like you don't know anything else. And and that was actually a really interesting thing for us, I think, to see is like, there are all these things recorded. No one's ever going to hear them. No one's ever going to know about them. But that need to create is definitely there for sure. Music. Musicians are all musicians are a lot like entrepreneurs in that aspect, and I, I I meet with entrepreneurs all the time. It's the same thing. I'll meet with a a guy that is incredibly successful and and should just retire and just enjoy you know the rest of his life, but he just has to you know what what's next? What's next? What do, what are we doing now? And and it's the same. I think it's I think that there's something whether it's genetics or, or what have you in musicians, that's the same way when you look at the really successful ones where they just can't let it go. You just can't stop. And sometimes it results in some pretty terrible stuff, but like, oh, absolutely. It, but it, it's not driven by commercialism. It's just, it's just a drive that people have. Mm -hmm. I mean, no so. musicians are legendary musicians who have passed away never stopped you know i mean prince went into his studio every single day and recorded something absurd like 15 to 20 songs i mean oh, insane so um mm. i mean i mean there are rare musicians that are like i'm retiring just to live life not like you know they don't have physical problems they're sick or something like that and actually stop even making music or consulting or producing if you're a true musician you're never going to stop um, well, going just going back to Dave real quick. Um, so, <laughs> what you said about a lot of people, I think you're right that a lot of people don't know the the man behind Diamond Dave. You know, yeah. he was always crazy, jumping off of things, wearing. I mean, my favorites were his um, jumpsuits with the holes in his butt. <laughs> like, he, the chaps. They were literally holes cut out of the peach cheek on his pants. Um, Gangs, gangs oh, okay, I know what you're it talking about. It was a Yankee <laughs> His solo career was yeah. not hurting at all when he left Van Halen. And I think, I remember a friend of mine at the time, after he left, going, oh yeah, I got this new Van Halen song I'm listening to. And it was Dave's solo stuff. I'm like, oh no. Right. Yep. He's with, that's not Van Halen. He's like, what? It's not? I think, it, you know, you had burned the tape off somebody else. I'm like, no. And that was a confusion for quite a long time because when you heard David Lee Roth, you just assumed, you know. 
Um, but he played the clown and he played it very well. And he was happy to do that. He, you know, everybody always talks about his ego and blah, blah, blah. I don't know that I believe that so much, to be honest, because I think he would have then said, well, I also play guitar and really well, and I've played all this and I do all of this and I was responsible for that. And he never really talked like that. He was just a huge personality. He was just a really good showman. And, um, you know, when you see later the band go through several other singers and several other musicians, you kind of have to wonder, was it really Dave? Because he took the blame for a very, very long time for that split happening, that he was a jerk, no one could stand him. Um, but you know, on to be the, the Van Halen's were all fucked up all the time. They had massive drug and alcohol problems. They were, they were complete Mm -hmm. psychos. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of the blame fell on, on diamond Dave. And I think it was very, very unfair. Um, and I think the fact that they've constantly asked him to come back probably proves that as well. Um, I just don't think that, I think he's very beloved. You know, I think anyone who's a Van Halen fan certainly loves him. Um, I, I think, but I don't think he gets the credit, to be completely honest, that he deserves. And I rarely say that about these giant, legendary musicians because yeah, they kind right. of have it all. But I, he does, I don't think he gets mm-hmm. the credit. I mean, his solo stuff was incredible. And um, uh, Eat Him and Smile, oh my God. I was obsessed. Obsessed with Edom and Smile, <laughs> absolutely obsessed. Um, so yeah, I, I think too often people just see the caricature. Yeah, they see yep. the caricature of oh, David yeah. Lee Roth and not the person. Well, he he also was a big promoter of his character. Absolutely. Caricature. I mean, the guy I was know, um, brilliant business. Sailor and um, Sasha and Chris. I know you. Do you remember Dave TV yeah. on MTV <laughs> back in the day when he did like the MTV oh, takeover? Yeah. Today, yeah. <laughs> no, Chris was too young, but uh, oh, okay, yeah, that that was. Do you remember the video? Oh, shit, it was the music video. I watched it, I used to smoke a little bit of a pot and oh, hey, <laughs> and watch bum, 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 bum. Over and over and over. It was he goes into the it's the people that are in the convenience store, and he walks in in his um native painting with the headdress and there's like the pregnant lady in the wedding dress do you remember the video oh. starts out like that uh oh, he yeah. he debuted it on dave tv one. assuming it was from the edom and smile yeah, album if he was yeah. dressed up like that yeah it was and it was at the whole thing was so brilliant and so hysterical and i found out later i wasn't the only one watching this thing like over and over and over and over because it was so damn funny he was just he was a mastermind at everything and he was he, um, that's the other thing too. He, um, he, I don't want to use the word managed. I don't know what the right word His, I, he had the idea for how they should look and what they should wear and, you know, costumes he called it and, you know, all of that. He, he was very much into the show and I love that. And to be honest, sometimes I miss that. Sometimes I do miss, um, and I think we touched on this a few shows ago, Matt talking about Sia that I yep. miss perform the performance art that goes with the music sometimes. I don't think there's enough of that these days, especially in hard music. You know, God forbid. Oh, you can't sure. do your hair and makeup because you're a hair band, you know? Because you're you're glam, you're you're sissies, you're pussies. Like what whatever gay. happened to to the Freddie Mercury and the David Bowie where these guys were just brilliant and they took it 
it was multifaceted. It wasn't just, hey, I can sing or, hey, I can stand up front and get the crowd going. It was, hey, I can do all of this. Plus, I'm giving you a visual performance. I mean, it, it was you watch the even the live shows or what have you. It, it was you were going to a show, yeah, not just a concert. You're going to a show. Yeah, I, I could imagine someone like getting up getting up on the stage in like a one-piece iridescent vinyl jumpsuit. I mean, that would be awesome. You know, if you could do something like Our that. That that would be a show. Didn't you post uh, pictures a couple weeks ago on your Instagram about that? You were wearing that? No, I'm Browns thinking of Chicago? one other particular band yeah, yeah. who okay. might be with us tonight. I have a few of those. <laughs> next time, next show that I see you guys at, I swear, I'm going to order one online and I'll wear it with you. So I better hit the gym now. You know, what's funny is I feel really strongly about the. So for the listeners, I often wear sparkly jumpsuits, onesies on stage. And I love it and I feel very empowered. But there are times, going back to the previous segment from this podcast, there are times when I just want to wear jeans and a t-shirt. And I want to play guitar and sing in a way that is not reliant on any kind of show. Like there are some shows where like, I just want to be the person who plays guitar and sings her face off. You know what I mean? And not the Mm -hmm. showman. Cause I don't want people to think, well, they only like that band because she's sparkly. You know what I mean? And there are other times where I'm like, Oh, I don't give a bleep. Because I'm gonna, I'm forty. Put on this sparkly jumpsuit. So I don't. Do do you ever, do you ever just consider, like, the nights where you feel sexually empowered to just wear the outfit that makes you feel that way, or the nights where you feel like wearing just jeans and a t-shirt or what have you to just, just, just wear what you feel? Because you know, we as we talked about this earlier. If, if you're harboring those insecurities, it's going to affect your music. So just you should just just empower yourself to say, you know what, this is how I feel tonight. So this is how I'm going to dress. And it's going to allow me to play my best because the rest of me is exactly on point as to where it should be. Yeah. I mean, yes, I totally, I totally agree. And sometimes you've got to put the cart before the horse a little bit too, I think as a performer. And I think, you know, in talking about Van Halen, I mean, talk about, you know, when, when you think about David Lee Roth, like, I don't know if he ever struggled with, you know, whether he deserved to wear that tight spandex or not, or whether he ever thought like my, my chest is just a little too hairy. (laughs) Not tight enough. Yeah, like I don't know if I need to accentuate this cod piece. I don't know if, he <laughs> or he just felt sexy. Enough that marks to- the first time on Metal Rock Whiskey that the word cod piece. Cod piece. You're welcome. You're welcome. Awesome. Yeah. I hope you. I hope you mark the points on that, Ed. Yeah, drop a marker on that. But I think it is really interesting to think about. You know, when we think about the people that we idolize and it that showmanship. And where that showmanship comes from and the confidence that it takes to be that kind of showman. I mean, I I think, I think it's an interesting question and maybe for David Lee Roth, like the fact that he was an accomplished musician and was, 
you know, had all these skills behind him, maybe enabled him to say, yeah, 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 no, I know the music's good. I know the songs are good. I know my voice is going to do exactly what I wanted to do. So I'm going to do this split in these fringe. <laughs> no, I don't know. You're right. Great I don't he questioned anything. I mean, he grew up with privilege. He was very attractive. He was very handsome. He was very fit. He was always into fitness. So I think you're absolutely right. I, I I doubt that there was a time when he was questioned, "Do I look good in this?" You know, he had the room to get into the show um, because everything else came very naturally to him. And I, like the 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 artists that Jake just mentioned, Bowie, Prince, these are all you know Freddie Mercury. These are all natural, very natural. Everything they did came very natural to them. Not that they did work, but mm-hmm. um, so I think. But when, they, but they all harbored. They all harbored insecurities too. Certainly, but I don't think about mm-hmm. specific what what they look like. I don't think was well, ever. I, I think they all made the decision that they needed to put their art, like they they took their their art so seriously to the point where whatever insecurities they felt, they they transformed their mindset into the character that they wanted to portray in order to offset their own personal insecurities. Yeah, but making music is also a comfort zone too for. For yeah. guys, you know, I mean, like Freddie well, Mercury. I mean, look at Bowie. Mean, look at Bowie. Yeah. He he literally just created a, a different person with yeah, well, every album. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he mm-hmm. he just that. I mean, that's that's a way of uh, just separating yourself from your insecurities. Just you know, turn yourself into a character. I'm trying to think about you know going back to our previous conversation, a, a female pop rock artist who's been able to do the same type of thing. Because I think the only thing that um, women have been able to do that's similar is to become hypersexualized. I don't know that there, I can't think of a female artist that has been able to just like take on a character or a caricature. I mean, you're talking about Sia. I mean, she may be our closest. What about Lady Gaga? I, I, guess yeah, Gaga, Lady, I think Lady Gaga would fall Lady into that. Gaga. Absolutely. She talk about characters and playing characters. But, her, I, but you know what's interesting is then you have the flip side because you have people like Patty Smythe who's who completely asexualized herself because hmm. and, and she talked about it a lot that she didn't feel comfortable, you know, doing what she was doing in her gender role initially. So yeah, I think I'm trying to think about in the eighties and nineties was Lady Gaga and C are the only ones that come to mind for me that that could do that as well. I can't think of think mm-hmm. someone from the eighties. I mean, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. Yeah, I mean, in a in a more down. Yeah, I mean, to a certain I, degree. I think there's pop artists. I think there's pop, and I think pop probably falls into a different category where you have uh, the production team. That's their mindset is to turn it into that type of production. You know where it is more of a uh, an actor on stage while they're singing. Certainly, but I also think if we talk about Cindy Lauper and Prince and Freddie, I mean their personalities and the personas they created came first. I mean, I just read Cindy Lauper's um, autobiography, which is incredible, by the way, because yeah. it's just like she speaks, <clears throat> which is hysterical. It's literally <laughs> written in like I mean incorrect grammar sometimes. It's amazing. Um, and I mean, she was like that from day one, that was just her, the, the crazy hair and the clothes and that was her. And mm-hmm. she also was rebelling against societal norms. <laughs> um, 
but I, I feel like societal norms have loosened up so much in some ways, obviously. Um, you know, mm-hmm. to be tattooed these days, you're not really rebelling anymore. To have colored no. hair, you yeah, know, right. who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, these days, what the hell can you do except light your vagina on fire? <laughs> what are you going to do that's so insane? I mean... <laughs> There's, it should can... be noted that Metal Rock Whiskey does not endorse, endorse. lighting their vaginas on fire. I mean, you do you, girl. But I, I don't, I don't, I think it was, I think they were pushing boundaries then so that I could walk around with tattoos and not be put in jail and I could still get a job even mm-hmm. though I have tattoos. I mean, thank you to all of those before us that did that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a perfect question, a segue into our break and then start talking about the Sammy Hagar period, because you have two completely different singers, one that is about the show and he's a showman and he's his own huge personality and he's a character. And the other one is just a guy who sings. So he doesn't do the big showman thing. Not that he, I'm not disparaging him in any way, but just a different style altogether. (laughs) Sammy Hagar is just the jeans and t-shirt kind of guy. So let's, you know, to this point, to this point, we have, we have the introduction of the band, the original lineup. They are what they are. And now we're going to go into a change up, but first sailor needs to pee. Yeah, And we are back. So before the break, we discussed Diamond Dave and the true Van Halen period for those of us fans. Now let's discuss the Van Hagar time frame. Sailor, get yep. us going. <clears throat> All right. So Van Hagar from 1986 to 1996. It's said that several well-known singers were invited to replace Dave before the band finally asked Sammy Hagar of the band Montrose to join. Hagar was coming off a big hit with the Montrose song, I Can't Drive 55, which was a single that had just been released. In 1986, uh, Van Halen releases their seventh studio album, 5150, with Hagar at the vocal helm. And single hits like Why Can't This Be Love, Dreams, and Love Walks In. This would be the first of four albums that would include Hagar as a vocalist. Van Halen suffered another loss at this time as well. Their longtime producer, Ted Templeman, left in order to produce David Lee Roth's solo album, Eat Him and Smile. Despite the controversy, Van Halen's 5150 went on to the number one on the charts. As a matter of fact, all four Van Hagar albums reached number one on the charts. Van Halen completed several very successful tours during this period with bands like Bon Jovi, who were also, of course, chart toppers. But then in 1996, as the band was recording songs for the movie Twister, I love that movie, the tensions between the Van Halen brothers and Hagar came to a breaking point, and Sammy Hagar left the band. Hagar claims he was fired. The band claims that he quit. So let's sum up the Van Hagar period uh, with a quick look at the discography. 5150, like I said, with Why Can't This Be Love, Dreams, and Love Walks In. OU812, When It's Love, Black and Blue, Finish What You Started. For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, Right Now, Top of the World, Pound Cake. And Balance, Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do, Can't Stop Loving You. So, um, K 
can they write songs that aren't about love during the Van Hagar period, maybe? Because that was a lot of love. <laughs> Lots of love. Linda, take off my Van Halen shirt. You're going to jinx the band. They're going to break up. That pretty much sums up how I feel about it. That's from uh, Wedding Singer. I hate her. I hate her. <laughs> she sucks. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Bring it. Those songs and the hits may not be what Van Halen fans want Van Halen to be. But if you take them, I just take the name Van Halen out. Those songs are incredible pop hits. And they, sure. yes, they are. to be mm-hmm. recognized and appreciated and validated as such. Like, that's some serious heavyweight pop business happening in there. And mm-hmm. I just say, like, I agree. Like, if you want to talk about Van Halen, then, of course, David Lee Roth, Van Halen, 1984, The Pinnacle. Like, unbelievable, taking us out of metal, out of Black Sabbath, into you know, what is going to be like heavy metal, but in the mainstream, like there's nothing better, but those Hagar songs, like they're pop nuggets of deliciousness. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you because we're semi talking ill about that period of time. But if you take the name out of it, like you said, and you know, Hagar was kind of hot at the time before he joined Van Halen, he had his biggest hit right before he joined the band. If it's Sammy Hagar and Band X behind him, you know, right? Yeah, maybe we're not. Maybe maybe we're not judging it so harshly. But you know? we're here to yeah. talk about Van Halen, and we are well, here to hear that. Of course, what, what, is, what works against what works against us to this point is what we've talked about to this point. Van Halen self-titled to, up to 1984. We're talking about so many. I mean, just amazing cover-to-cover albums. Where each song, uh, you know, you go front to back. Those are great albums. You jump into the Van Hagar period, and I feel like the albums themselves lack. There's huge hits. There's one to two hits on each album for me. But the albums, cover to cover, it gets it's just so repetitive. It seems cookie cutter. It seems overproduced to somebody's telling them, Hey, this is what makes money. Just do this and sell albums. Well, I'm going to be kind of a counterpoint to you, Jake, because, um, I happen to own every single Van Hagar, as you call them, CD that was produced. Um, I own two of the David Lee Ross, the original Van Halen one and 1984. Those are my favorites. But for me, I've spent more time listening to uh, the Sammy Hagar version of Van Halen, probably by a magnitude of four or five or six, than the David Lee Roth, simply because, number one, because of the time. All right, I was 16 when 5150 came out. Mm. And that album was my jam at the time. I probably played 5150 um, more than any other CD in their collection. But uh, I went and saw them in concert uh, during Sammy Hager's final tour, their balance tour. And so I got to hear them play selections from all, pretty much all their albums at that concert. And Sammy Hagar, I know you bring up a point he wasn't quite 
the showman that David Lee Roth. But I can tell you one thing. Even at that age, in 1995, he could move. He could jump. He was jumping around the stage. He was wearing... Um, it was crazy the outfit he was wearing. It wasn't as showy as David Lee Roth. He was wearing um, overalls, you know, like the shorts, overall shorts with no shirt on, and like the jean overalls and shorts. Well. I mean, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> can we all can we, all? can we all agree that he's terrible. got he's he's a better singer just <laughs> just vocal wise? No. no. Oh, yeah. I I don't know. No. If, I'll go Dave. He's better. On, he's different. Better, They're too different got, to say mm, one's better than the other to me, anyway. No. I, I, dude, I will. I will go Dave all day long. No, Chris is right. It's very. I mean, obviously, this is very subjective. I mean, for sure. I mean, it's similar. Similar to the uh, ACDC discussion, where who do you like better, Brian Johnson or Bon Scott? You know, it's it's what's your preference? Because their their voice. Their voices are very different. This is true. I feel like, though, with Sammy Hagar, there's less strain. Yes. Like, Thank I, you. Really? See, I feel more strain. Oh, I don't. I and feel I like don't he's even listen it. to Sammy Hagar or Van Halen. Like, I don't even. And that's what my gesture was earlier. Like, I only <laughs> listen. Like, if I'm going to put on Van Halen, okay. it's going to be David Lee Roth Van Halen. There's yeah. no, yes, for sure. A hundred. Me too. Yeah, a hundred times out of a hundred, it's going to be yep. Van Halen with David Lee Roth. But in preparing for this podcast, when I listen, there is, like I will say, as someone who sings all the time, I feel like when I listen to Sammy Hagar, there's less actual strain. Like in the physical performance, they both have rock voice. I really do feel less. I what you're saying, it's a more natural sound. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the sound of Dave's voice Gosh, I get better. I the opposite. Yes, I prefer the sound of his voice better. But okay. if you were gonna make someone do their scales, I'm sure Hagar can do it better than yeah. David Lee Roth. I, I don't that feel my, that, that way at all. Yeah. I don't yeah. feel that way. Accomplished vocalist. I just don't prefer his voice to well, if I compare the no, two. No, it's better. Yeah. They're better with Dave as a singer. There's I no feel. I feel when that. I. Yeah. Actually, that was one of the points I, I I had written down was that when I listen to Sammy singing some of the songs, I feel like he's pushing it and it, his voice breaks more often and doesn't hold up. I, that was something that I noticed to me that I thought I thought Dave was the better flat out singer. I feel like Dave Dave breaks all the time oh. and doesn't give a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. When you, when you, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Ultimate confidence for sure. Yeah. But it became yeah. part of the sound. There was those breaks. Yeah. That was, yeah. you know, like yeah. when he would like because... scream, like, ah, and, they, and he would break <laughs> in there. That was his sound. But that was, that was so typical of the day to make your album sound as live as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I mean, you know, so they you... wouldn't, they wouldn't cut that stuff out and re record, they would leave it in. Yeah. Whereas uh, we get into the 90s and we're getting into like post-production nightmare. I think that one of the interesting points is when I was doing the research for this, you know, that all four um, Van Hagar albums, you know, were number were number one hits, the huge hits. I, I, I would tend to agree that I think there are only their hits on the album. I don't think any of these albums are a back-to-back entire album hit. What I think is, for me... For me, I'm going to take just 1984, that album, 
And I'm going to compare that to all four of the Van Hagar albums. Oh, so wow. you've, got, you've got the song 1984, Jump, Panama, Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs, Hot for Teacher, I'll Wait, Girl Gone Bad, House of Pain. These songs are more popular than all four of those albums are. Period. Yeah. End of story. One fucking album from that previous period up against all four of the Van Hagar albums. To me, 1984, Van Halen, clear, clear winner. That's okay. what it came down to for me, how I distilled it down. But how many points do you subtract for Atomic Punk? <laughs> One Van Hagar album. Okay. Well, so, so I'll, you know, to, to give a little bit of background... When I came into this, I didn't dislike Van Halen. I always respected what they did, especially, uh, you know, as a, you know, I'm just call myself a musician, but I, I loved what the Van Halens themselves did. I did not know a lot about the background of David Lee Roth, which I was really, really happy that I did the research and found out about him. But just coming into this, I, I liked Sammy Hagar's solo stuff. I thought it was pretty good. So I, I came in very much kind of open-minded, listened to their entire discography from beginning to end. Well, I did. I kind of stopped at the Van Halen 3 because we needed to focus in, but <laughs> I was blown away when I started listening to album after album after album of the... David Lee Roth, Van Halen, where all of the songs that I really loved were pre-1985. You know, pre-pre that, uh, you know, the switch. And as I listened to album after album of the Van Hagar, I just didn't dig it. It was, it, it felt like I knew those songs from commercials or from other things and it was like movies yeah yeah right yeah yeah Yeah, it was it was i felt like i felt like i fell in love with a band that was a band and this other band i knew commercially strong does that make sense yeah i'm I'm probably not saying it right makes perfect sense but but as i rediscovered this band that i had listened to you know throughout my life because i kind of grew up during the van halen era but I wasn't a huge fan, so I kind of I came into this open minded. That was what I that was kind of what I realized. There was a whole bunch of songs that I really liked, and they all fell into the David Lee Roth era. There was a whole bunch of songs that I knew that felt commercially forced upon me that I didn't really care for. Yeah, and those were the Van Hagar songs. Do you think though that imagine the same singer? had been with the band for the whole time. Do you think that that progression to the songs you loved with the like rock band, the sort of post, you know, introduction of Sabbath metal into a more commercial 80s metal, but still keeping on to that hard rock feel, and then transitioning into the mid to late 90s and mid to late 80s, early 90s, like, Imagine it were the same singer. Would you feel the same way, or is it because sure. it's changed? I, I, I get your I get your point, and 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 my my opinion would probably change yeah. because the band definitely transitioned behind both singers. So the, the band definitely changed. Mm-hmm. The music changed. So I, I definitely get your point. 
I mean, you can start um, you can start seeing it in 1984, though. Absolutely, you absolutely, can absolutely, absolutely, you can. Yeah. I mean, and as I good tried, as that album is, yeah. you can start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. see. Uh, I see Sasha playing her fingers on a synthesizer yep. well, back there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what happened with 1984, which I saw in several interviews, is Dave and the producer both got their way because um, oh, what's the name of the album? I always forget the name of the album because I I didn't. I bought it, fair warning, I bought it and I didn't like it. And I was like, oh, what the hell? Um, fair warning, they did what Eddie wanted to do and it didn't work, you know? And so, and Dave was like, no, it's got to be, you know, more, more pop-ish, you know, it, it, 1984. So yeah. what I feel like with the Van Hagar period is I kind of feel like the band's music was aging with the original fans. I think so. That's a great point. It's it to me. It sounds like you know. Well, we're 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 maybe dads now. You know, we sit (laughs) on our lawn and drink beers. You know, we're not out there like skateboarding and you know like banging our heads. We're growing (laughs) up, so we gotta chill out a little bit. You know, gotta slow it down a bit. Maybe Um, talk about some love. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of love. Let's talk about love. What, what are you calling Van Hager like old man music? Pretty much, yeah. What, what are you talking yeah. about? I feel like I felt like that honestly. Yeah. As I listened to it, it was like, hey, this is this, yeah, yeah. this so is. We... Yeah, I was six. I was like I said, I was sixteen when fifty one fifty came out. From lusting towards my and went to from there. My wife, come on. <laughs> How old was Hagar when... in the course of one year? When he was doing, when he was, when he joined Van Halen, I think you're being a little unfair to Sammy here. Am I? I think, I think, well, I think, I think Sasha from. makes a, Wait, Sasha let, makes let a Chris great. Interject. No, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. I think, we, I think we're debating the wrong thing. What we're really debating is Van Roth versus Van Halen. Yeah. Good job. Sure. Because Van Roth is great, and like Sammy Hagar is great in yeah. Van Halen, but the writing in Van Halen is not what Van Rock was. Chris makes a great overall point that the band itself yes. transitioned as soon as and evolved. Evolved. Right. And there just happens to be two of the three three singers, because I mean they're back to Raw, so you can maybe consider yeah. that the fourth singer, but really they're they've they've had three singers, but to your point, the band has evolved. And yeah. maybe this, maybe the singer, maybe the singer just fell into the evolution of the band. Yeah, well, it sounds like Dave is a no man. Like he'll say no. We need yeah. to do that. We need to. Your idea isn't good enough. Let's try doing this. And you get Jump, and you get nineteen eighty four, and you get these other great Jump's songs. My least favorite. I know, but song. like it's just it, it was yeah. different. Anybody else? Anybody else on that? Well, it's the most poppy of their, you know, yeah. of the Ross songs. It's just all so. synth. Yeah, and a, and a forced guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> incidentally, I am going to be curating a um, date rape playlist on Spotify, wherein <laughs> Feel Your Love Tonight will be included. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just after I feel wow. dirty laughing at a date rape joke on Spotify. <laughs> I think it's really important that we like. Wait, can I laugh? Yeah. 
I can't wait to feel your love tonight. Yep. <laughs> What's really interesting is if you listen to the lyrics before that, they're super creepy. Like, yep. I went a little too far. It's like in the back of the car, I went a little too far. Ooh, I think I went a little too far. But you know what? It's like Baby It's Cold Outside. That song is from what, the 50s? Yeah. She's oh, like, you know, she's trying yeah. to consider and she's like, what's in this drink? I'm like, what the hell? I grew up and I was like, what? What yeah. is she saying? What's in my drink? That's I say that every time it comes on the radio, me and my the wife She's are in like, the car. She's like, this GHP is like, what is this, guy, this dude's deal? And he's like, it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> You'll definitely freeze to death because yeah. I've loved you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't go die. Let's just stay inside. So I think, we, I think it's time to come to our conclusion. And, Shall we vote? And we should vote. Yep. So, Ed, do you want to do the vote? You want to take tally and... Yes, I will. Well, I will start off for me. Um, as much as I love the Sammy Hagar era, this this was a tough choice. But Dave Lee Roth was my introduction to the band, and um, I have to go with my sentimental choice, which would be David Lee Roth, since he, you know, started with the band as the lead singer, and he was the one who was there when I originally fell in love with the band. So I am going to go with Diamond Dave. Boom, Matt. Uh, I will agree with Ed. I will go with Diamond Dave. Um, but, you know, researching this, I did gain some respect for Sammy Hagar because I had really no clue about anything that he did. He was the other Van Halen guy to me before this. He was I Can't Drive 55 before this. And, uh, you know, listening to his whole um, catalog with Van Halen, I appreciate his talent as a singer. But to me, it's Van Roth all day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sasha and Chris. Um, I'm going to say that, of <laughs> course, as a vocalist and a pop star, I prefer Mr. Hagar. Hagar. Shocking. Interesting perspective. I really, really do. And, but, and also for a rock band to craft a pop hit. You know, the Hagar years are right there. But, of course, if you want to talk about Van Halen, the band, Diamond Dave wins for Van Halen, the band. You guys have had great arguments, but I'm still a Van Hagar. Yeah! Oh! Uh, Whoa, yeah, I'll tell you real quickly why. I don't know. I can't tell, but... Nice. I may be the youngest one in this conversation. You are. And I grew up, the first time I was, like, really introduced, I was introduced to right now. So that was Van Halen was Sammy Hagar to me until I went backwards to learn the other stuff, which I appreciated mm -hmm. and love. But Van Halen first to me was Sammy Hagar. Nice. Okay. Very good. Sailor. I absolutely take nothing away from Sammy Hagar. Um, him as a, as a vocalist, he's fantastic and amazing. Um, there's, there's no one other than Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave to me is Van Halen as much as Eddie Van Halen is Van Halen. You just don't have Van Halen without Diamond Dave. He it was, he's the ultimate rock star. You know, if, if you have to put faces of, you know, rock stars in the dictionary, he would be one of them. He was the ultimate rock star. He was 1984, that whole album. Um, so for me, it's Diamond Dave all the way. No contest. Fair there enough. it is. Yeah, for me, you know, 
similar. It's uh, I, I feel like my my dad, who was a huge uh, musical 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 uh, musical uh, influence on me, he was my my dad was my dad was anti Van Halen. He just really did not like them at all, which obviously made me like them. And it was the 80s, early 80s, Van Halen. And when you look at those albums and how they crushed with David Lee Roth being being kind of like the other 80s queen. I mean, they had awesome music with a flamboyant front man that just crushed it. That's 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 Van Halen to me. You know, I. I live on a rural, rural farm area, and so yes, the the theme song often is "I Can't Drive 55" because we live on 55 mile an hour roads. But at the same time, I'm going David Lee Roth all the way. All right. Well, it looks like uh, David Lee Roth, otherwise known as Diamond Dave, is the big winner Woo! here. Um, we all prefer him. Well, save Chris as Van Halen's uh, lead singer. And now but, we're coming up I, to a real quick, of... real quick though. I think to, to everybody's point, the Van Hagar as a band is great. It's awesome. Oh yeah, it really I think is. We all awesome. agree that we all agree on that. It's just if you are put in the place, which is what we do on the show, yep. if you're forced. Mm-hmm. You have to pick to one. Compare. I, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Boom. There's no loser in this. No. Tell you what, I'll take Sammy Hagar, Van Halen over Lars solo. Hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Fuck you, Lars. <laughs> Twice. All right. So usually in this part of the show, um, once we get out of our, our voting we uh, all talk about what we uh, we're into right now, what we've discovered, what we're listening to, what we're, we really like. Um, so why don't you kick it off, Sailor? Well, I'll, I'll turn it over to Sasha and Chris. Um, it can okay. be podcasts or music. Um, is there anything that it doesn't have to be anything new? What are you guys What are you guys into? Mm-hmm. What are you listening to lately? Because you're in a van a lot, so you're doing a lot of driving. So what do you guys listen to? Oh my gosh, mostly we listen to silence. Uh, we seriously do not talk or listen to anything for hours and hours and hours. But um, I have to say that um, some really good friends of ours from Cincinnati, Ohio, the band that first got us started touring and understanding what it meant to be an independent touring band, they last year released 52 songs in 52 weeks. And um, they're putting out those songs now, slowly but surely, in um, like 12 or 15 song volumes. volumes. And so volume one was released earlier in the fall. And then volume two was just released on the 26th of this month, uh, January. I'm not sure when this podcast will air, but on the 26th of January. And I can't get enough of it. And their name is Matt Anthony. Matt Anthony. Matt Anthony. Shout out. What's amazing about Matt Anthony and the 
music that they're releasing right now is that they're all, a lot of the songs are um, collaborations with other bands cool. and they have songs mm. where other people sing. I sing one of the songs, but there are other people who sing as well. So checking out the Mad Anthology series, uh, you can go to madanthology.com. Uh, we'll not only introduce you to them, but to a host of other bands. So that's what I'm into right now. Awesome. Very cool. Nice little shout out to uh, Matt Anthony there in my old hometown, Cincinnati. Woo! <laughs> All right. Who else? I am always rocking out to this band called Album. Um, try Google searching that one. Uh, add Rogers, Ohio after um, that, and you'll be able to find them. Um, great, great, like heavy rock, stoner metal. Um, great, great concept to the album. It has like a complete arc to it. Um, that's a great band to check out, as well as uh, Eminem. <laughs> I've been Eminem while I'm working out at the gym. What? Did, did you, you have an Eminem, Eminem reference? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. So, Drop a new yeah. album. It's pretty, Michiganders. It's pretty... Michiganders unite. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, I have been binge listening to three words, and that is the Friday Social Swig oh. on Drinking Darlings with our very own Sailor. Uh, I think you've had 18 or 19 of those, and I listened to all of them. Oof, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, I will say to our listeners, if you want great history on cocktails, great history on anything uh, that has to do with spirit, any spirit, anything, uh, go take a listen to that. Drinking Darlings, especially the Friday Social Swig with our very own sailor. Uh, as far as music goes... Learn how to make a drink already. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as far as music goes, I've been kind of dipping back into my high school Case Logic CD case. Case Logic. Yes. Yes! For all of our those. youngsters out there, a CD is a primitive form of listening to music <laughs> before you push a button on your phone. Um <laughs> Uh, and a little band from right in our backyard here in Jersey called Census Fail. They're kind of a post-hardcore emo-y kind of band. Uh, I was kind of digging that at the time. So listen to that right now. Go check them out. Very interesting. Yeah. So I've been, uh, I mean, keeping theme with uh, our scientists, musicians over there. I'm going to plug uh, one of my favorite podcasts. It's called Surely You're Joking. And what it is, is it's a blend of Caltech physicists and stand-up comedians. And what they do is they discuss things oh in gosh. the physics community, but they have to try to explain it in a way that the stand-up comedians can understand it. Which That sounds amazing. amazing. So they've, they've had multiple Nobel Prize winners on the show. They've had the... Uh, the writer of the Martian of, uh, you know, consults on movies like Thor. They've taken shows and, you know, movies and discussed how physics align with these movies, how they, it, but they make it understandable to the lay person, which is what I love about it because obviously I'm a lay person when it comes to physics, but, <laughs> but I love, I love the idea of it. So for me, 
it, it's it, it's interesting, but it's understandable. So that is my podcast of this episode. All right. Cool. Well, as for myself, um, I kind of debated whether to bring this up, whether I should be seen as pandering to our guests. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I would like to say I have been listening the heck out of When Particles Collide. Yeah. So good. And <laughs> I just, I, at first I, man, I'll tell you what, I can't put this band in any particular box or give any direct comparisons to other bands, but I kind of went, approached them as I would a whiskey tasting. All right. So bear with me here. So as I'm listening, I did pick up some dominant notes of the Joy Formidable and Smashing Pumpkins, um, with a bit of Primus at times, and maybe a hint of Heart. Nice. You know, in some spots. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's... Uh, Did you say Smashing Pumpkins saw, or Smashing Protons? Yes, Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> yes, I, suspect, I think uh, Billy Corgan's guitar, I know, had a lot of... I see a lot of similarities with... Yeah. Um, um, Sasha's style yeah, so in, cool. in a lot of the songs. And Billy Corgan, a Chicago but, uh, guy, too, I believe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, he yeah. is. He's a he's a hometown yep. boy here from Chicago. Um, so anyway, yeah, I went out onto Bandcamp, and I suggest everyone go out onto Bandcamp and look up When Particles Collide, and I, I bought uh, their three albums they got or if you're on not there old, and just been kind of jamming to those all day today. So, yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I'm... I'm into right now. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have also listened to every single piece of music, I think, that they've put out there or sent <laughs> those of us that are on the Unstoppable <laughs> crew. And I love When Particles Collide as well. Not just I really like people, it. But yeah. musicians. Um, so uh, right now I'm listening to um, a lot of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. We talked about them on our last show. Their new album just came out. I'm obsessed with it. I'm in love with it. I love them. And I'm also listening to a lot of the band Death. Um, unless you are a big death? time, yes, they're called death. Um, we are going to talk about death on, <laughs> on an upcoming show, uh, an amazing metal band, um, from back in the day, uh, Chuck was, who sadly is no longer with us, was, an, was incredible, um, kind of like, um, the Randy Rhodes maybe of the later period, you know, of our age. Um, amazing. So I, I've just been going back to that catalog because, um, we're going to be talking about it coming up and I've always loved that band. So that's what I've been listening to. Um, I also, on, to... on that previous, on that previous episode, you and I kind of had a, had a chat because I had not listened to rebel motorcycle club, rebel motorcycle club. Yeah. So I did go back and listen to their discography and music wise. I, I really liked it. But I had a I had a difficult time enjoying the lead vocals. What? Oh, yeah, oh. it seemed whiny to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I the mean, music was awesome, but the the lead vocalist seemed whiny. I don't think you like anybody's vocals. You're you always have problems. I'm, with I'm just I'm just giving my honest opinion. We no, talked about it on the previous episode. Yes. Get it, girl. Yeah, of course, the drum. Of course, the drummer guitar player has a problem with the vocals, right? Sasha would just yeah. sing for every band. I would like them. 
<laughs> but that's not the case. I'm not going to give it away, but on our episode, I'm just, I'm just uh, our my... Slayer episode, okay. I guess they've already heard it. He hates everything. <laughs> is it? You're not giving anything away. <laughs> I know I don't like that. This is a theme with Jake. Anyway, um, so oh, I can't. I can't wait to listen to Death. <laughs> <laughs> and tell you my opinion of that. Great. <laughs> great, but the vocals kind of suck. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up, you guys. So, <laughs> I just want to say a huge thank you to our most awesome guests, Sasha uh, and Chris of When Particles Fly. Yes, oh, and, thank you um, so much for being here. Thank you, and thank please you. tell us where we can find you guys on social media, and then and where people can purchase your music. And if you want to make a little statement about how Spotify works, because I didn't know this either, it's really important that people understand for small, um, smaller bands that are, are working so hard, I, the layperson doesn't understand how the money works. So where is the best place to actually buy your music if people want to support you? And then how do they support the Unstoppable Tour as well? Well, first of all, I guess most people listen to music on Spotify. So if you are curious about what we sound like, for sure, go to Spotify on your phone or your computer or whatever and type in When Particles Collide and give us a listen. If you like what you hear and you want to support independent music, then by all means, go to whenparticlescollide.com. And there you can listen to our music as well, but you can also purchase it. Um, and you can purchase t-shirts and vinyl and CDs, physical copies, hats, stickers, the whole thing. And you can also on our website, whenparticlescollide.com, you can watch a video on the homepage about how to become an Unstoppable Tour crew member, which is essentially like being a patron of the band. You support us monthly or a one-time uh, purchase to help us stay on the road touring and creating new music. You get new music for free. You get hilarious video updates. You get newsletters from us um, and lots of other things. So I guess what I want to say is I want to encourage people to discover new music the way that they do, which most people listen on Spotify. So for sure, we're there. Listen to us on Spotify, When Particles Collide. But if you find an independent band that you love on Spotify, try to find their website or their Facebook page or their Instagram or their Twitter handle and learn more about the band and figure out how to support them uh, more directly because Spotify does not pay artists. When you play a song on Spotify, we earn 0. .00001 cent. To I'm when you so glad. So glad that you that you discussed that because I am that consumer that just finds stuff on Spotify. Yeah. And uh, so I'm glad I'm glad you discussed that because I, I would like to support, you know, yeah. the bands that I like. And and, you know, for those of you out there that hear me constantly complain about uh, lead vocalists, yeah. when particles collide, that lead vocals is the shiznit. <laughs> it's it is on point. You can listen to that shit all fucking day. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. In fact, they hear it at the beginning and the end of our and podcast. Then on Instagram, they can find you guys as when particles collide. Yep. And on Facebook as well. Correct. 
Yeah. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you, Chris and Sasha. Thank and you. thank you to all of our <laughs> listeners out there. And please join us next week for another episode of the Metal Rock and Whiskey podcast. Matt? Thank you, Ed. And to all of our listeners out there, our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at metal underscore rock underscore whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. Please feel free to do the same on our Facebook page. Search Metal Rock and Whiskey and ask to join to continue discussions, participate in weekly polls, and sound off on the show. Find us on YouTube also, and please subscribe on iTunes. Give us a review. Just don't be a dick. Give us that five-star rating. <laughs> you can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly, at the Whiskey Assessor. That is Whiskey, save the E. Edward? And you can find me on Instagram, at Bourbon Geek, and also Xbox Live, <laughs> at Bourbon Geek. Edward Van Halen? Jake? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always out of order, isn't it? Oh, boy. This is fun. This is what... This is the organic, fun <laughs> podcasting right here. Mm-hmm. Check us out on Patreon. We do have Patreon set up. Is to find the link in our uh, in our IG page, and it's a work in progress. We've got some things going on. We're gonna do some fun giveaways. Um, you can find me at Bourbon Spartan Sailor. You can find me as Sailor Retro on Instagram. And also follow me on Spotify because I am doing weekly playlists uh, to match our show topics. I'm Sailor Retro on Spotify. Hell yeah. Well, hey, this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much, Sasha and Chris. This was awesome. But my glass is empty. We got to go. Tip your waitress. We're out. Fuck you, Lars. See you. Ah. Later, everyone. (laughs) 